Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and the actions of our lives be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. O you of little faith, why did you doubt? I wonder if when you read those words in Scripture, what kind of intonation do you give those words? How, how do you read Jesus' emotion? What kind of nonverbals are there that go along with those words? As Jesus says that to Peter, is he angry? Is he speaking those words in kindness and compassion? Is he speaking those words in pity? Is he rebuking Peter? Are those words even directed at Peter, or are the other disciples in the boat meant to hear them instead? After all, we think about the whole situation, and it doesn't quite make sense, does it? That Jesus says to Peter, O you of little faith, why did you doubt but Peter is the one above everybody else that showed such great faith. Peter was the one who, upon seeing Jesus after getting over the part where they were scared because they thought that he was a ghost, that he said, Lord, if it's really you, then call me to come to you. And Peter is the one who got out of the boat and walked on the sea. None of the other disciples did that. So it seems to me that Peter had great faith. But there was more to the story. Even though Peter is the one who got out of the boat, it is when he started to realize what was going on, when he started to see the wind and the waves coming upon him, that he took his eyes off Jesus and instead became overcome with the fear of the situation, and he started to sink. He started to fall into the water. He started to drown, and that's when he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus grasped his hand and brought him safely into the boat. O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? We might look at the situation and say, Peter, Peter was the one not with little faith, but with great faith. It was the rest of the disciples who had problems. They were not even willing to do half of what Peter did. I wonder, where would have you been on that night when Jesus came out on the sea? Would you have been the one to get out of the boat to walk on the water, or would you have been with the rest of the disciples who are in the boat, too scared, too overwhelmed by what's going on to even know what to do. I think that no matter where you would place yourself, what we end up realizing is that we too fit Jesus' words. We too are a people of little faith. See, all it takes is some great disturbance in our life to make this reality known. We all say, ah, oh, yes, I, I have such great and wonderful faith. But then something will happen in your life. Your world can get turned upside down. And if you haven't had that in the past, maybe you're experiencing that right now. It seems that 
the conversations that I have, the conversations that I see others having, they're all about what happens next, what happens now, how how do we plan for next week, next month, next year? And with every little ray of hope, there seems to be several more days of darkness. And we don't know how to make our plans. We don't know what to do. We are overwhelmed. And this is a time that we must rely on our faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. But that's not how we like to live. That's not how we like to walk. We like to walk in the light. We like to know everything. We like to plan or at least account for as much as possible. And in our current status, when we can't do that, it feels paralyzing. It's harder and harder to get a good night's sleep. We have more and more thoughts and conversations running through our brains, and we don't have any answers to those questions. It can make you feel uneasy. It can make you question your own relationship with Jesus. Because you might think, after all, if I had more faith, if I would trust Jesus more, then I'd be able to sleep like a baby. I wouldn't have all of these fears. I wouldn't have all of these stressors in my life. Everything would be a picnic. So even when we're willing to admit that we have little faith, when we struggle in this world, when it's hard to trust Jesus, Where do you go from there? Does that really help to admit that you're somebody who struggles with your faith? Sometimes it might seem like that's only another dead end. But I think it all depends on how we see the solution to our problem. See, if you are somebody who has little faith, you might think, well, what I need to do then is to get me some more of that faith. What I need to do is trust more. I need to work harder. I need to make my faith bigger and bigger. And when you do that, that's when you feel like you're in a dead end. That's when you feel like you are backed up into that corner because after all, how do you make your faith bigger? How do you increase your faith when faith itself is not something that you conjured up? Faith is not a work of your own hands. Faith is a gift, a gift given you to given to you by our Heavenly Father. After all, it's Paul who writes in our epistle reading today, faith comes by hearing. That is, faith must come from outside of you, from someone else who speaks to you God's word, who brings to you that wonderful news that in your darkness there is light because Christ has entered in. It comes when somebody says to you that there is forgiveness for all of your sins. Your guilt can be wiped away because Jesus died for your sins. There is hope when someone says to you that death is not the final answer, that death is not that thing that separates us from one another or even from God forever. 
For Jesus broke the bonds of death when he rose from the dead on the third day, and he promises that resurrection of our bodies to each and every one of us who call out to him in faith. You see, faith is a gift from God. And so the solution to our problem doesn't rely on us. Way back in the Garden of Eden, we saw Adam and Eve And we saw how they took faith on as a DIY project, something that they could do by themselves. They thought that trusting in themselves to make the right decisions was a good idea. They heard what the Lord said when he said, don't eat from that tree in the middle of the garden. But they trusted instead in themselves. They trusted in that serpent. And that's when everything went wrong. And so for us too, we need to realize that faith is not a DIY project. It is not up to you and me to increase our faith on our own because we can't do it. And when we try to do it, that's when our problems, instead of getting better, will only get worse. So where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. We need to realize that it is possible for our faith to be strengthened, but we are not the ones to strengthen our faith. Rather, it is God himself who increases our faith. It is God himself who gives us these opportunities for our faith to grow, and he's the one who makes it all happen. The only problem is, Sometimes we don't like the ways that God provides for us to help that faith grow. Because we forget that what is faith after all? Faith is complete trust, total reliance on God. In the explanation of the first commandment, Martin Luther said, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. What does this mean? It means that we should fear, love, and trust God above all things. Suffering comes when we trust in other things, when we trust not so much in God, but in something else. And the suffering that we experience happens when that thing that we relied on starts to shake. It starts to wobble and it falls, it collapses, and it takes us with it. Because we trusted in it. We relied on it. Now, it doesn't matter what that thing is. Maybe it is your health. Maybe it is your financial security. Maybe it is your occupation. Maybe it is some close relationship in your life. When you put all of your trust in that and it falls, we're going to experience suffering. We are going to experience loss. But it is at precisely that time that God gives us an opportunity to grow in our faith. Because our God is a jealous God. He doesn't just want part of your heart. He wants all of it. Or maybe another way to think about that is that our God is a loving God. He doesn't just want to save part of you. He wants to save all of you. And so in those times when we put our trust 
in something other than God, and that thing collapses, it does bring us a lot of pain. But that also provides us that opportunity to say, you know what? That was a stupid thing for me to trust in. Instead, I should turn to the Lord. I should give this part of my life to the Lord and see that he is reliable. He is trustworthy. He is the one strong enough to hold my hopes, my fears, my dreams. And when we make that leap, we're starting to understand what strong faith really looks like. See, strong faith is a faith that looks to Jesus. It is a faith that looks to him for that strength and peace and hope and security in our life, because only he can give it. Martin Luther once said that three things make a theologian, prayer, meditation, and suffering. You may think, well, pastor, I don't want to be a theologian. I just want to be a Christian. But I think the point remains. For Martin Luther, a theologian was somebody who knew the Lord, who put his faith in the Lord, somebody who called out to the Lord and knew that the Lord was hearing those prayers. That, I think, is what we all want. And so the Lord gives us opportunities to become exactly that. In prayer, we are able to cry out to the Lord. It is that cry of faith, the cry of our hearts that knows that the Lord hears us. We can cry out to the Lord for rescue, just like Peter did. We can cry out to the Lord in thanksgiving and praise for what he has given to us. We can cry out to the Lord asking him to forgive our sins, and he does that. But we can also meditate on his word. We can also read the scriptures. We can have time in our lives for devotions. And when we have that time, when we read his word, we know that his Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, in our hearts, building that trust, teaching us who the Lord is, teaching us who we are, teaching us what the world is like, and teaching us that everything comes together in him. We remember that reading from a few weeks ago where Paul wrote that in all things, God is at work for those who love him for the good. That's something that we wouldn't know if God didn't teach us that because that's not something that's always clear to our eyes. But it is through faith. It is through hearing that word that our lives are transformed, that we realize we can trust in him. But suffering, suffering is also a way that the Lord makes us into those who trust him and call on him in faith. And that might be the hardest of all of the ways that God makes us into his children. Because suffering is deeply personal. And maybe you're not somebody who has experienced a lot of suffering in your life, but you've seen the suffering that other people have endured, and you say, Lord, I don't know if that happened to me, if I could still be in church on Sunday. I don't know if I could still trust you. I don't know if I could still have that relationship with you because I would be angry at you. 
I, I would think that you had betrayed me. I would think that you had let me down for bringing such suffering into my life. Suffering is personal. What we need to know is that the Lord does not demand of us what he does first not give us. The Lord doesn't demand of us what he does not first give to us. See, maybe you haven't experienced great suffering in your life, and so you might think, wow, I could not have the faith that was required to go through that. But maybe you don't have the faith required because you're not the one going through that. For that person who's going through some great crisis in their life, to that person who has borne that heavy burden all through their life, that burden of suffering, maybe God has given gifts to that person that he hasn't given to you because that person needs those gifts. That person needs that strength. That person needs that grace, that mercy, that forgiveness. Now, make no mistake, our Lord loves everyone the same, and he wants all to come to him. But as our situations are different, as we are different, God's gifts also might differ. He might show that love to each of us just a little differently. That doesn't mean that he doesn't love us, though. He loves us all the same. And even in those moments in your life, whether you're suffering a lot or whether your life is fairly comfortable, you should know that when God feels furthest away, that's when he is closest to you. We remember Jesus there on the cross, and that is not at all what people expected when they knew that the Messiah was coming, that, that God himself would suffer and die. That was the furthest thing from their mind. But in John's gospel, he repeatedly says, this is where the Lord was glorified. This is where he is seen most clearly in the place you would least expect there on a cross, there in suffering, there in death. And so it is for each of you that the Lord draws close to you. He draws close to you in such a way that no matter where you think your faith is at, whether you have a lot of faith or a little, that he brings to your lips in those moments when you need it most, that cry of faith, Lord, save me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. And he answers those prayers. He answers those prayers not whether your faith is strong or whether your faith is weak. He answers those prayers because of his own strength, because of his own love, because of his own grace. An illustration that I often share with confirmation students when they think about faith and, you know, how much faith is necessary 
in order to be saved. A lot of people worry about that. Paul writes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He doesn't talk about how much faith is necessary. Instead, he focuses on that cry of faith. Can you call on the Lord? Yes. Then yes, you have faith. You have enough faith. Because it is not the strength of our faith that saves us. I grew up in Minnesota, and one of the favorite activities in Minnesota during the winter time is fishing. Come to think of it, that's one of the favorite pastimes during the summer too. But in the winter, it looks different because all of the lakes are frozen over and people will drive their snowmobiles, their cars, they'll set up shacks and sometimes even mansions out on the ice and they'll enjoy fishing. For some, this is a a, a very precarious situation. How can you go out on the ice? It, It can't support you. It's not thick enough. But here's the thing. Whether you go out on that ice and you have great faith that the ice can hold you, or whether you have just a smidgen of faith that that ice can hold you, it does not matter. What matters is the thickness and strength of the ice itself. If the ice is enough to hold you, it doesn't matter whether we have a lot of faith or just a little, it will hold you. In the same way, if the fate, if that ice is very thin, it doesn't matter whether you have all the faith in the world, that ice will not uphold you and you will fall in and get wet and cold. So it is with our faith in Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you have a lot of faith or a little. It doesn't matter the strength of our faith. What matters is the strength of the one in whom we place our faith, our Savior, Jesus. And as we saw with Peter, even if he was one of little faith, what mattered at the end of the day was that cry of faith. And so you you also need to know that you can cry out to Jesus. You can cry out to Jesus no matter how much your faith is, and he will hear you. Just like with Peter, he will reach out that hand and he will grab you. He will save you. What Peter didn't know was that hand that grabbed a hold of him was the same hand that would have the scars from being nailed to the cross. What you might not know is that the same hand that will reach out to you is the one that created you. The same hand that will reach out to you is the one that lifted you up from the waters of baptism and said, you are my child. The same hand that will reach out to you is the hand that blesses you. It is the hand that gives to you Jesus' body and blood. It is the same hand that one day will reach out and pull you from the earth as he raises you from the dead and brings you into his glorious kingdom. But until that day, It is the hand of God that has brought you to this place so that you could worship him, so that you too could cry out in faith, 
Truly, you are the Son of God. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, who is your Lord and risen Savior. Amen.